Hi, my name is Tommaso, your first year student host for the My First Year Story podcast. Here, I'll be sitting down with people who have the answers to your college questions and who can help me survive my first year as a University of Connecticut student by telling their own first year stories during our conversations. Known for her involvement at the Yukon Native American Cultural Program and activism for Native and Indigenous students, Sage Phillips is a third year Yukon student double majoring in political science and human rights with minors in Native American and Indigenous studies. Sage is also a part of UConn's President's Council on Race and Diversity. Sage is a 2021 Cohen Student Leadership Scholar, a member of the CT Statewide Coalition to Ban the Use of Native Mascots, as well as the coordinator slash mentor for the UConn Indigenous Nations Cultural and Educational Exchange. Sage is the founding president of the Native American and Indigenous Student Associations and currently is working on a project to distribute grants for Native and Indigenous students pursuing higher education at UConn. According to her Native American Cultural Program biography, Sage hopes to pursue law school, concentrating on federal Indian law in the future. Hi, Sage. We are so glad to have you here. It is incredible to hear how much you have done to ensure that Indigenous voices are heard. Would you please introduce yourselves to our listeners? Name, pronoun, major, hometown, and favorite holiday. Yeah. Um, good day, Louise. No child, Benawapskewik. Uh, my name is Sage Phillips. I'm a member of the Penobscot Nation. Um, we are the Wabanaki people, the people of the dawn, as we greet the sun at first light. Um, so my hometown, I grew up in Old Town, Maine, um, which is Wabanaki homelands. Um, I use she, her pronouns. Um, I am a junior here, uh, double majoring in political science and human rights, uh, minors in Native and Indigenous studies. Um, my favorite holiday would have to be Christmas. I feel like that's pretty common, but everyone <laughs> loves Christmas. <laughs> of course, how can you not? Right. Um, so let's get started. So like you just mentioned, you are from Maine, and I see um, on your Native American Cultural Programs bio that it is Abenaki land, and specifically a member of the Penobscot Nation. Can you tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up there? Um, yeah, so I did not... Unfortunately, I did not grow up on my tribe's reservation. Um, nonetheless, I was still involved as much as I could be. Um, I was always taking opportunities to go onto the res um, for powwows and ceremonies. Um, and, you know, a lot of my ancestors and um, family members are over there in the cemetery. So, you know, that is something my family took very seriously and regular visits there, very sacred meaning to us. Um, but it was also interesting because I went to a high school formerly known as the Old Town Indians, um, something my tribe worked to get rid of, um, you know, about 20 years before I got into high school. So I was going to school with, you know, a few kids from my tribe, but also it was hard sometimes with a disconnect, just not being um, on the reservation. But honestly, like it was just such a blessing to be born into the tribe and just, you know, raised by my parents and my grandfather um, just learning our sacred teachings and lessons, and those are just things that I carry with me. So I really value, um, you know, my childhood and how that has shaped me today. That is so amazing to hear, and now that you're carrying on that legacy as well. Um, and so you mentioned your um, mother, father, and grandfather. Are there any influential figures in your life that led to your career path? I would say my grandfather has led me pretty much everywhere. Um, he's who I look up to the most, you know, my biggest supporter, biggest role model. Um, I would say my dad also played, I mean, both of my parents I value so much, but my dad um, played a huge role in that as well. And, you know, he he's always said to me, be a leader. 
um, every phone call, every drive, everything um, before, you know, I leave him or get off the phone with him. It's always said, be a leader. And I think that has really um, become a part of who I am today. And just it drives me and motivates me to do everything that I do. Um, as for my specific career path, it kind of came together late. And I think that was just a matter of figuring out myself while also having their support. So I wouldn't say, you know, the career path that I want to do, no one in my family has done yet. Um, but their support has certainly got me to where I am. That's amazing. And like just going through your little bio and stuff, it can tell that you take that be a leader to heart and take it very seriously. And so why did you choose to come to UConn and double major in political science and human rights? Yeah, so this is kind of my favorite story to tell in terms of my UConn experience. <laughs> but um, senior year of high school, I was looking for the colleges and universities with the best uh, native programs and communities. And UConn certainly was not on the list. Uh, I could only find, you know, it was I found the website for NACP it was pretty out of date. So it just it really didn't appeal to me. Um, and my mother and my father kept bringing it up saying, well, why not UConn? And I said, look at the native program. I mean, it's virtually non-existent. Like what, how does that appeal to me? It doesn't, right? And so I, my dad had said to me, you know, you know what you want in a community. Go help, like go be, if you can be just even a little bit of the change, why not, you know, take advantage of that and put your help where it's needed. And I really took that to heart, you know, alongside the be a leader mentality. And it was a leap of faith, but I decided I'm going to come to UConn and I'm going to try to be, you know, just a little bit of a difference, ensuring that our future ancestors can, you know, create their own success going forward. And I've come to, so I came to UConn and um, I got involved with NACP at the end of my freshman year. Um, I started out as a sociology major um, and that was not for me at all. I, I I couldn't do it. It was just no offense to any sociology majors out there, not for me. Um, and so I, I actually through I think it was through my, um, it was a requirement for my FYE course. I had to go to an event and I went to see James Comey speak on campus. Um, it was the former FBI director for um, Donald Trump's administration. And I was like, I love this. I love like, it was just so weird. I was like, oh, my God, I think I love politics. <laughs> it was such a weird realization. But um, so that's, you know, the next day I sat down with my advisor. And I was like, I think I want to be in um, poli sci. And so I'm trying to navigate my major and NACP and involvement. Um, but I came to I've just I've come to love UConn and I want other Native students to love it just as much. Um, so that's kind of, you know, why I came here and where I center myself now. Um, and then eventually I ended up adding human rights as, you know, I, my career path be, kind of became a little more apparent to me. And I was like, I'm fighting for our basic, you know, human rights, specifically in education. Um, so it just it it all made sense to me. But that's a little bit of my story. And that's so great that like when someone like yourself doesn't see the representation that you just you become that. And now you are the representation for other people. Speaking of leadership, how did it feel to be chosen as a member of UConn President Tommy Casale as Council on Race and Diversity? That was a great shock. Um, I, you know, I, I just applied out of curiosity um, to see if I a had what it took to um, deserve a seat on the council, but B, if our, you know, if they would value a native voice on the council, because I knew there wasn't one. And I remember just getting the email and it was at our, we did a, um, 
costume contest for um, the FYE mentors and TAs. It was our TA groups. And I, I got the email at that. And I just remember my whole TA group just like, you know, surrounding me with hugs and congratulations. But I was so shocked because it was like another step towards representation, right? It was like, this is one more space where I can, you know, be just one voice for all. Um, And, you know, it ended up being really cool because the other girl who worked with me at the time also got selected. Um, So it, it was just this overwhelming shock of like, wow, you know, our voices are being valued. Now I have to step up to the plate and make sure that they're heard. Um, so it was it was a really special experience. Yeah, and just that validation and being able to say, right. "Oh, my voice, like I'm valued here." Yes, community, and that's so amazing. And this is not like the first coalition or a council you're being a part of. What was it like to be a part of the statewide coalition to ban the use of Native American mascots in Connecticut? Yeah, so um, I'm still involved, um, and so I'm I'm from Maine, as I had said, and Maine's actually the first state to ban the use of Native mascots. Um, so when I came to Yukon, I was kind of looking for a way, I, you know, obviously knowing no other state has banned them, I was kind of looking for a way to join that, you know, force here. And it was my mentor, um, I had reached out to Dr. Matoma at the Dodd Center and I said, I've heard about this group and I really want to get involved and he actually got me involved right away and I just remember kind of just, I wasn't thrown into the room but brought into the room and I kind of just put myself on the spot in front of you know, we had um, board members from high schools all over Connecticut. We had indigenous entrepreneurs, activists, um, just so uh, so many accomplished and successful people in this room. And, you know, it was just another way to be like, these people value what I have to say. Um, and we're all working towards the same thing. It's not Sage is going to bring the native voice here. It's no, we're all here to do that. Um, so it's been really eye-opening. Um, I wasn't as involved in the mascot change in Maine, um, but when I came to Connecticut, you know, I feel like I've been in it. I've been in the work and um, helping the cause, and it's just it's great to, you know, leave home and be welcomed in a new place. So that coalition, I'm like, I'm just so grateful for. The connections I've made are incredible. Yeah, and for those who, um, for those who would say, oh, it's not a big deal to have like a native mascot or something like that. Why is it important to change these things? You know, the one thing I I say to kind of squash people's um, wrong views on the mascots is I just, I prompt them with the question, you know, would you have any other group of people in the world be a mascot? Would you use any other race or ethnicity as a mascot? And the answer is always no. So the importance behind it is, okay, so why is it okay to use us? Um, And I think it's one thing people don't understand is these mascots allow stereotypes, negative stereotypes to be used against, especially our youth today. Um, You know, we don't all have the darkest skin or the darkest hair anymore. I mean, I'm a walking example of that. So, you know, these masks, the importance of getting rid of these mascots is we, you know, they won't be just thrown upon us to be expected to look a certain way or, you know, present ourselves a certain way. Um, when we, we know we're indigenous, we're undeniably indigenous, and, you know, we have to get over the mascots so that we feel as though we can fully embrace ourselves. Yeah, because right now, like, that is how some people define indigenous people. And there's some people who are like, oh, indigenous people don't exist anymore. And it's like, exactly. Well, to deny a person, like, their whole existence and culture is something 
a lot of people stray away from, but still use Indigenous people as that. Right. And I mean, the other thing to point out is a lot of us are reclaiming our indigeneity and our cultures. You know, we there's a loss of, there's a generational loss between boarding schools and genocide in itself. You know, we there's a lot of stuff about our cultures that it's not just being handed to us anymore. I mean, we have to go back and we have to look for it and we have to hold conversations with our elders um, and our language keepers and, you know, the mascots are just like a roadblock, essentially. Right. And you are heavily involved in um, Native programming on campus. How did you get involved with the Native American Cultural Program? I always have to give it to um, Dave. We met for with FYE. Um, right. <laughs> yes, we love Dave. Shout out Dave. Um, he, he, I remember telling him, you know, I'm Penobscot and is there a community here? Because, you know, like I said before, I couldn't really find it. And he was like, you know, I think I have a connection for you. Classic Dave line. I think I can connect <laughs> with someone. I was like, okay, sure. Like, sign me up. And he got me in contact with the Office of Diversity and Inclusion. And, um, you know, the next week I went up to the um, office in the union, the um, NACP office, and they said, do you, do you want a job in the fall? And I was like, yeah. Because, you know, I tried to get involved at the involvement fair right when I got to campus in the fall. And I walked right up to the table and I said, hey, like, I want to get involved. And they said, you know, they presented me with come to book club and craft night. And I said, no, I, that's not what I'm looking to do. I'm here to do the work and I want to build community. And craft night in and of itself just sounds problematic to me. So I was like, um, I'm not going to, you know, participate in any sort of cultural appropriation, but so Dave, you know, he is just like my champion at UConn. I mean, he has helped me in so many things, and he's the reason why I got involved with NACP and, you know, the other things I've been doing on campus today. But that, yeah, he, Dave, is how I got involved. And as an activist working through NACP, once you got there, were there any challenges you had to face, and, like, how did you overcome them? Oh my God. Yeah. How much time do we have? <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. I don't even know where to start. So first of all, NACP's office sits in the middle of the cultural centers on the fourth floor of the student union in a, um, what used to be a storage closet. Um, so we're, you know, we're expected to operate almost the same as the other cultural centers out of that very confined and small space. So that's one thing um, that was just, you know, incredibly hard to adjust to is like, how do we host events in a storage closet? Like we don't, right? right. So that was hard. Representation was hard. A lot of people didn't even know we existed. Um, a lot of people couldn't even find our office because we're so hidden. Um, we're like in a hallway behind a wall. Um, very hard to even see the place. And then everyone, it was just terrible timing when I got involved. Everyone who had been involved had graduated. Um, in May. So when I started in the fall, everyone had graduated. So it was literally me and one other student trying to do a wave of programming. Um, and we, we were like, we need more, you know, help. So we got a couple of other students hired with us. Um, the biggest challenge that hasn't gone away, and I, I don't envision it to anytime soon, um, you know, just like on the spot gone, but something we're working towards is, you know, we are, UConn is a land-grant institution, and UConn's administration has to recognize that. They have to recognize that, you know, we have a land acknowledgement, but it means nothing. It's empty if we're not moving past that to provide support and resources for our Native and Indigenous students. It's as simple as that. Um, so 
they kind of say jump and we say how high. So we're kind of doing this thing where it's like, you know, here's what we need you to do so that we can move to the next step. And then it's like, okay, we'll do that. And we do that. And then it's like, here's five more hoops to jump through. Um, And it's just this constant feedback loop of, you know, you don't have a big enough community. um, So we're not going to give you a cultural center. And then it's like, well, you don't have a cultural center. So why would a community form? And it's like, you know, we're kind of just, that is our biggest obstacle and it gets so frustrating. Um, But, you know, the one thing that we're super grateful for is COVID has actually allowed us to build our community. I mean, people are zooming in from all over, um, you know, different universities, different campuses. It's been so great. And the one thing that we're kind of struggling with now is like if COVID ended tomorrow, let's say normal um, came back tomorrow, which God, we can only hope. (laughs) Let's say that happened tomorrow. It's like, well, we've grown so much. We cannot operate out of a closet anymore. It's just, it's not going to happen. So, um, you know, space, resources, support, and just well-deserved recognition, I would say, is what we're struggling with. And that truly seems like it has been like the narrative for Indigenous people throughout history. Um, And so that seems incredibly frustrating that you've had to deal with that. But that kind of leads into my next question was, how has COVID-19 affected your activism? And it sounds like it has helped in a good way. Yeah, uh, so it it was definitely hard. It's still hard. I mean, I'm a very, I would consider myself pretty extroverted and I, you know, I thrive off of, you know, face-to-face interaction. Um, so I definitely, I miss the NACP closet office. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, we'd have people coming in and out and saying hi and just being in the, it became like my little safe hub on campus. Um, so it was hard adjusting when I went home, just not being, you know, as it was for everyone, I'm sure. But in terms of my activism, I saw a lot of opportunities arising, and I think it's it's happened a lot for everyone during COVID, but it's like, I mean, on campus, I was running from meeting to meeting. I was like, I hate to say it, but I was skipping classes so I could have NACP represented in these important meetings, and it's like, now I don't have to do that. I don't have to block out a half hour to run from Arjona to the U and grab lunch in between. You know, I can just click onto it, the next Zoom link. Um, So I think a lot of opportunities have arisen in that way, just in being able to attend more things, um, you know, time-wise. And, you know, a lot of opportunities. I did a fundraiser for Navajo and Hopi families and COVID-19 relief as they've been, you know, impacted the hardest. Um, So, you know, a lot of these things are arising. It's just I feel like I thrive the most in my activism through community. and it's, we have a community through a screen. I'm not denying that at all. But just being in community, in person, sharing space together is something, you know, as an Indigenous person, I value so much. And it's just been so hard to, you know, I mean, just stay motivated, honestly, because, you know, your supporters are your biggest motivation. And, um, you know, we have a new mentorship program where we're working with Native youth um, in the region. And it's like, we would it would just, it would drive me so much more if we were able to be with them um, and share community in person. So it's definitely presented challenges, but also I'm very grateful for what has come out of COVID. Um, And I'm, you know, I always reflect on, would it be the same if COVID hadn't happened, which obviously not. (laughs) No, that silver lining that COVID has given us. I mean, towards the beginning of the pandemic, when everything was really, really shot down, it gave everybody that pause and like that second to sort of like reevaluate what 
was important to them, especially because so many things were taken away. So I'm glad to hear that you've taken this time and really ramped up what needed to be done. And it sounds like you have a lot of irons in the fire right now. <laughs> what are one of the most rewarding things or one of the most rewarding experiences of being an activist for Native American rights? Um, I would say the development of NASA, um, our newest student org. You know, it was something I was really pushing for. And, you know, it's not necessarily hard to start an org on campus, but it for us it was because, you know, you have to meet a certain um, student involvement, you know, a number of student involvement. And I was just like, oh, no, <laughs> we've been struggling with involvement, like, oh, no. Um, but the one thing about NACP is, you know, Native American cultural programs, not all indigenous, like, not all indigenous people identify with Native American and not all Native American people identify with indigenous, right? You have to, you know, you have to cater to um, certain identities. So that was one thing I was, you know, throughout my first year at NACP, I was like, we have to fight for a space for indigenous students to feel like they are welcome to. Um, so that's why, you know, I, I started NASA and I was scared. I was like, this might not work out, but you know, I got my required e-board together. I got our e-board together. Um, and the most rewarding thing. So last semester was our first semester. And at the end of it, in our last meeting of the semester, I said, you know, we, I can't even express how much I value all of you coming each week. And it's so beautiful because we have new members each week and they're, you know, that's the beauty of NASA. Like, we have a new topic each week. You can just pop in and, you know, listen to that one topic, and maybe you don't come back for a few months, and that's totally fine. In that last meeting, our Native and Indigenous students were like, thank you for creating this space. And it's like, that was that was just the most rewarding thing ever, because, like, I know how much I thrive off of community, so I expected it to be somewhat the same for others. I mean, everyone loves having a community that they can belong to and identify with, especially at a school as big as UConn. Um, and these students were just like, we feel like we have a place here and a place to, you know, just express who we are and reclaim our cultures and our histories and just storytell with each other. And it made the fight for NASA to happen more than worth it. I mean, talk about rewarding. Just hearing that was just the best medicine. Amazing. And are there opportunities for those who are like not indigenous or non Native American students who want to get involved? Of course. We don't. So, yeah, every week we have indigenous, we have native, non native, like you name it. We welcome all allies, um, all advocates, all activists. Um, and the one thing about our, you know, our members at NASA is we're all involved in different pockets of organizing and activism. So, we have a very intersectional space, um, and we, we welcome everyone, whether you want to learn more, whether you just want to help, um, or whether you just want to listen to our stories and appreciate, um, you know, the lands you're on. It's just, it's we're open to everyone, and it's beautiful. And where can our listeners find you or find these resources to get involved? Yeah, I would look at um, our Instagram page, which is um, at UConn underscore NASA, um, NACP is at UConn underscore NACP. Um, and yeah, I mean, we, you can check out UCINCI. We will be accepting um, new mentor applications in the fall, I believe. Um, and yeah, I would say just check those out. There's We're always posting about events and meetings. Amazing. So now sort of like moving on to the future and your future. Um, why do you want to pursue a law to reconcentrating in a Federation Indian law? Yeah, so... 
it's changed a little bit, but not completely. Um, so I'm, I'm seeking a program that I can receive both my JD and my master's um, in American Indian Studies. So what I've been grappling with in my undergrad career so far is do I, because, you know, I'm in the Native and Indigenous Studies minor, but on, among my initial college search, I wanted that to be my major. And obviously I can't do that at UConn. So I didn't feel right um, obtaining a law degree without, you know, indulging myself in our histories and cultures. Um, so I was like, do I go get my master's or do I go get my law degree? Like, do I go get a master's in American Indian studies or do I just go to law school? And then I found out I can do both. Right. Yeah. So it's like amazing. Um, so I, I think that my biggest drive has been my work with NACP and just seeing the struggles for Native students even get to higher education. Um, not only that, but the even more struggles once, you know, we get there, especially at a school like UConn. Um, and just being a land-grant institution and seeing, you know, UConn not uphold its duties and responsibilities to um, its Native and Indigenous people is, you know, just my driving force for change. And I really feel like if I, you know, pursue those degrees and I can become a lawyer, I can help the most. Yeah. And are there any upcoming projects you're involved with that you want to share with us? Uh, yeah. So I have one that is in the works now, probably for the next couple of years. Um, so I'll still be working on it even after I leave UConn. But I received a grant from the President's Commitment to Community Initiative um, alongside Dr. Glenn Matoma and um, Kiara Westa, who worked with me at NACP at the time. And um, basically, it's a two-part project. So the first part is focused on um, a full reassessment of the land. And, you know, we're going to put all the history, all of the, it's hard to explain in short, but Yukon is, is here today because of expropriated um, and stolen Indigenous land theft. So, you know, we have to put that into the report and the importance of that. And then the second part is going to be um, assessing the needs of Native students in higher ed. So are you pers we're going to be asking them a series of questions along the lines of, are you thinking about pursuing higher education? Um, if so, where? And if UConn does not come up in that answer, why not UConn? Mm -hmm. um, so hopefully we'll have, you know, a history and assessment of the land alongside why you know, Native students, local Native students are not choosing UConn, put it all together and present it to administration. Um, and the overall goal with that would, you know, if I could have any outcome would be tuition waivers for Native and Indigenous students at the university, um, which are more than, you know, our students are more than deserving of that. But that project has um, been underway since last semester. And like I said, it'll be going for the next couple of years. So updates to come. <laughs> So amazing. And this sort of leads into my next question, but it's something I think about a lot is like legacy and like, what do I want my legacy to be here? I mean, we've started this podcast, uh, among other things, but what do you want your legacy to be at UConn? After you graduate, what do you want people to say about Sage Phillips? Yeah, um, I, think, I think Dave has asked me this question a couple of times too, and I never seem to have an answer, but I will say it's not important for me to it's not important for me to leave UConn and have people be like, oh, like Sage Phillips did this or Sage Phillips did that. I want it, I would say like in terms of a legacy, it would be not, oh, Sage Phillips created NASA, but our future ancestors now have NASA. Do you know what I mean? It's a matter yeah. of like leaving the pieces behind 
for our future ancestors to succeed in, in those spaces. So right. I, I definitely, you know, I'm not one that thrives off of personal gain or anything. I don't, I'm not really concerned about, um, you know, being rewarded or honored or anything, but I would say like my, I want my legacy to be the success of those to come after me. Yeah. It's not about the recognition. It's about laying the groundwork so that those, like you said, those who can come after you can pick up the pieces right where you left off and keep right. fighting that yes. fight. You can forget my name all you want, but you know, you better value those who are coming after me. Yeah. Well, um, and kind of moving towards our closing questions, thinking more big picture, what do you think like the purpose of college is? Speaking off of my own experience, Honestly, it might sound cheesy, but finding yourself is like, I just, I think college just epitomizes that. And by which I mean, like, before I came here, I, you know, I'm, I'm not afraid to say that I was very um, conflicted with my, you know, I have my white identity and my native identity. And I was very conflicted on how to embrace those together. Um, especially, you know, given our history between both, but, um, the thing about college for me has been like, you have to just, it's okay to let go of what you think everyone expects you to be and do. Um, and if I had not told Dave, you know, like I want to, you know, embrace my native culture and I want to get involved, I, I probably would have just left it behind, which is just like the worst thing to even think about now looking at where I am. But College for me has been like, you get to embrace your fullest self and people appreciate you for that. So I would say like college for me is not about, you know, obviously I got to get a degree, but it's about finding your true passions. And through that, I feel like you find yourself. Yeah, because the degree is just the byproduct of of it. You know, it's just you're getting it already along the way. And I completely agree with that because... A lot of times when I ask this question to our guests, it's like to get to get a job, to pursue your passions and stuff. But you're absolutely right. It's about coming out these four years as a contributing and uh, what am I trying to say? Contributing member of society that will create a better place, like you said, for our future ancestors. Right. One hundred percent. Um, and this is like our signature questions we ask all our guests is um, we're like we're all a first at something, whether you're the first person in your family to go to college or completely something else. What's something that you feel like you've been the first at and how has that impacted your life experience or story? I would say hmm, that's a hard one. Um, I would say I'm the first in my family to I don't know how to even word this. Um I would say I'm the first to not necessarily know where I'm going. Um, I think my mom had a pretty good idea of what she wanted to do. I think my dad, um, he knew where he was going to college. Um, He went on to UMaine on Native Scholarship. And I think um, my grandfather had a pretty um, straight and narrow path as well. But I think for me, it's been a lot of just having to navigate it myself. And I think, you know, they were all pretty close to home trying to figure out what they were doing with their lives. And I think I would be the first that kind of took the leap of faith to just do it on my own. I mean, I came to UConn and I didn't know a single person and I loved it. Yeah. It was like, you get to start over and you get to, you know, it's kind of time to be a big girl now and figure out what you want to do. And I kind I just wanted to know, I'm an only child, so it was kind of all eyes on me all the time. And I just wanted to know that I could do it on my own with, you know, less help and just know that, I could build my own personal success. So I think for me, yeah, just being the first to 
not know, but now that I do know, or I think I know anyways, um, <laughs> that's been pretty cool to experience. Yeah, and I would say you've definitely accomplished that, um, in my in my professional <laughs> opinion or whatever. <laughs> um, and then uh, two more questions. What is like one piece of advice you would give to a Native or Indigenous student at UConn? Um, wow. I would say a lot of the times we feel like we have to be, as Native and Indigenous folks, we have to be silent in certain spaces. And I think a lot of the times we just expect to be silenced and conform to that. Um, and that's the one thing I've certainly had to overcome is, you know, I just keep putting my foot in the door and I keep inserting my voice um, in spaces. And I think that, you know, like I said before, you just you have to be ready to embrace your fullest self. And I think for the success of our cultures and our communities going forward, we have to, you know, let go of the stereotypes we're expected to conform to. And especially in higher ed, I mean, you never know what's going to be thrown at you in terms of your identity, um, whether it be in the classroom, whether it be at the U, anything. Um, I think the biggest piece of advice I would give is embrace your culture and you would be surprised how many people will end up valuing you for that, um, which is just the most incredible feeling. And now is sort of the time in the conversation where we kind of turn it around and I let you ask me a question. Oh, um, okay. So obviously I know like nothing about you, but I would <laughs> love to know, since my path has changed so much, I would love to know where you saw yourself maybe like before high school, like what you saw yourself doing in college, career path, whatever, and versus where you are now and what you want to do. Or has that s stayed the same? No, it's definitely changed quite a lot. I think I remember in middle school, I wanted to be like a journalist or like a reporter or something. I'm an art major now. So it's definitely switched up quite a bit. And throughout the whole college process, I had in my mind, I wanted to go to like small art school in the city, mm -hmm. in a city. And now I'm at a huge college campus in the middle of nowhere, um, which I'm so thankful that I am because I think I wouldn't have been able to found such a great community at such a smaller school. Mm -hmm. um, and I definitely feel like I'm starting to find my people at UConn. That's so and awesome. Here. See, that's the beauty of it. Yeah, here I am now interviewing Sage Phillips. <laughs> I used to do a lot of art myself and my mom was like, you sure you don't want to take this further? And I was like, no, that's okay. I think I want to get into activism. So yeah. And using art in activism, too, is, like, such yeah. a good thing to have. I wish I had more time to do art still, but maybe post-COVID we can make some art. Yeah, for sure. Totally. Um, well, thank you so much for um, chatting with us today. And I also just want to thank you for all, like, the work you have done for mm -hmm. Indigenous and Native students. I'm not uh, Native Indigenous, but you are the representation that people need. So thank you. And thank you to our listeners as well for tuning into this episode. As always, peace out, Huskies. The My First Year Story podcast is a production of the University of Connecticut's undergraduate student body in collaboration with the Office of First Year Programs, Learning Communities, the Academic Achievement Center, and the Learning Community Innovation Zone. Our co-producers are Casey Jaycox and Hannah Peterson. Our staff advisors are Cody Ryan and Helena DeBald. For more information on our podcast, to meet our entire staff, and to listen to more episodes, visit fyp.uconn.edu backslash mfys. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter at uconnfyp.